Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. unimaginably sad day is the nothing personal word of the day. Today is Tuesday, November 15th, 2022. And those were the words spoken by the president of the University of Virginia following the shooting death of three football players for the team shot by one of their teammates after a field trip. When you are the president of a anything, a university, a country, a corporation. I don't think that any of us can any longer say that it is an unimaginably sad day when there is another shooting. We don't need to talk again, do we? About guns. We don't need to talk again about all the shootings, about all the things that are going to change when they don't. We don't have to talk about that there aren't going to be field trips anymore. They'll have to check our underwear when we check into an airplane. They're not going to change that. What we do have to talk about, however, is what leads up to this point and what should we do when you are in charge of people? Whether you're in charge of your family, whether you're in charge of somebody at work, one person, or you run an office or a school, University of Virginia officials had ample opportunity, it seems, it appears, to stop Christopher Jones Jr., the person who cannot be dead enough in my mind, should he have done what they are accusing him of doing. He had gotten in trouble with the university before for hazing. He had gotten in trouble with the university before for gun possession. He was on a watch list because someone had told the officials and the authorities that he possessed a gun. What do you expect the president of the university or the campus police to do? What solution do we have for them? How many times do you need to hear that there are people on the streets who shouldn't be on the streets? We need concrete proof. We need a crime committed, and then we need evidence in order to keep that person in prison. We need to not have overcrowded jails. So let's let out everybody 
who's there for smoking dope. Put in people who are violent, but if they maybe have a gun or if they hit somebody, but that person won't press charges, let them out. The criminal justice system is not a problem from 2022. It's a problem that goes back for as long as there have been men breathing and women breathing. But this is different today because Kent State, where there were shootings, there have been protests, there have been campus shootings before. Just three hours away in Virginia Tech, there was a mass shooter. This is only a few years ago. This is another mass shooting in Virginia. So that part's not ending. So I've got a different idea. When Coke and I were preparing for the show yesterday and today, he didn't want me to communicate with you thoughts that are unimaginable. They can't happen. Don't talk about the fact that there shouldn't be guns because there are going to be guns. There's always going to be guns. Don't talk about the fact what you think the Second Amendment says. You already said that. Don't talk about the fact that you can have metal detectors, not just in class D schools and inner cities, but put them in private schools where there's nothing but rich white kids. Don't talk about the fact that everybody on a watch list or everybody accused of any crime anywhere, whether they've done it or not, are put away and kept away, period. Only talk about things that are possible to effectuate change. What happens when you've got a situation where campus shootings or shootings of any kind, like we've seen, where there is police forces or security forces who are not able or not financed enough, are not large enough, are not organized enough to follow up and deal with every possible threat because once in a while, those threats turn out to be true, but the majority of the time they do not. Therefore, you can't check everybody. How many times this just came to my head, so this is not wholly comparable but when you eat boneless chicken, you're not chewing it, checking for bones. Except one time when you get a bone and you're like, man, I thought there were no bones. Does that mean that you chew differently? Yeah, for the first minute after. When you're sick, you say to yourself, I will not do what made me sick. I will get better rest. I will take better care of myself. I will drink juice. I will work out because I don't ever want to feel this way again. And what happens? You go back to the grind once you're feeling better and you do exactly what you did, which made you feel that way in the first place. And then you feel that way again. And yeah, I'm talking all college students and all professionals and people everywhere. And then you run your body ragged till you're sick again. I've done it so many times. I've been doing it my whole life. I'm not special or extraordinary. So that's not the solution because human behavior is not going to change. So here's what we'll do. We'll just accept the fact that there are casualties, not of war, which we were taught as a concept. There are just casualties of life. There's people who are lucky, they win the lottery. There's people who are not lucky, they get shot on a school bus after a field trip. Ah! Luck of the draw. They were 20 years old. If you live a full life, you live to 90, cost them 70 years. What's 70 years in the middle of a billion years? 
a blip, a gnat on a buffalo that you're driving by at 80 miles an hour? Well, that's a terrible way to think about it because if you do that, then why do anything? Why try to make things better? Why try to be productive? Or you could bang your head against the wall trying to be productive and not accomplish anything and close your eyes for the final time and say, what? It all passed me by. What change did I make? What legacy did I leave? To the president of the university, they all get together. And I know this. Boards get together. It's always reactive. Another tragedy. Another shooting. We're going to make it harder. We're going to pay more attention. We're going to be on red alert. Let's go to DEFCON 2 on campus. Well, that's not sustainable because what happens is if you start living your life at DEFCON 2, that's not a quality of life. So then the politicians are convinced or the board or the president of the university says we're not going to disrupt campus life because of one bad apple. Why spoil the entire bushel? How does that not make sense when you are a leader? In Africa this summer, watching animals cross the Serengeti, remember I told you about the wildebeest migration and how once in a while, a young wildebeest gets eaten by a crocodile and that's it. Can you imagine if the wildebeest said, hey, we lost one, I guess we should no longer be crossing this river. Behavior doesn't change because there are accepted casualties. They're accepted margins of error. That's what people are. But the father of the slain student who says, I wish it were me, you have to say the usual things when you are not related to the family, but you are representing the university or the team or the league or the city or the country. That's the whole thoughts and prayers. Let me start off by saying I'm sorry. Really? NSS. Of course you're sorry. It's hard to say you're sorry, isn't it? No, you got it wrong, Peter Cetera. It's easy. It's the greatest outward ever invented. Hey, sorry about that. I'm sorry. Wait, what are you sorry for? Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry this happened. I'm sorry that you lost a child. I'm sorry that you didn't get your way. I'm sorry you didn't get your job. I'm sorry you're losing your job. I'm sorry that your show's being canceled. I'm sorry. Sorry that I didn't include you on this trip or didn't include you in this party. I'm sorry that I wasn't nice to you. How many times do we say we're sorry during the day? I'm sorry. Let me start with by saying I'm sorry for the loss. The unimaginably sad day. Here's what's changing. Not the playbook, not the statements. We get together. Sorry, Coco. We get together as boards. Talk this through every time it happens. We're going to pump up security. Hey, let me see the budget. Ooh, our security budget. We're, we're losing money. We can't really add more security people. What's that going to do? As a matter of fact, we may need to cut some security people, but we're going to put sustainable lights in more places where the light bulbs don't burn out so we don't have to change the light bulbs. And we may add some flyers with some phone numbers. Call 811 if you're nervous on campus or nervous walking down the street. It's like calling for a Uber when you're drunk and you have your car and you say, no, I can make it. 
It's a good thing to do. It makes you look good. It makes you feel less guilty, less sorry. Oh, no, it doesn't. Because you all feel the same exact way when the same thing happens that you know is going to happen again because it always happens again. Anyone else tired of looking at their phone alerts? I was thinking of turning mine off. It's every day you wonder what the alert will be. You don't get an alert like when, hey, look outside. It's a beautiful sunrise. An amazing, colorful, perfect morning. That's not the alert I get. The alert I get is more people die, more people die. Owners are funny with coaches. <laughs> they really are. You feel like you have to when you lose a game. And I get this because we'd meet after so many losses and you'd have to talk about, do we need to say anything to the media? What, what's going on with our coach? When the Raiders lost to the Colts this weekend, people went up to Mark Davis, Al Davis's son. Is it Al Davis's son, Coco Mark Davis? I assume so. That that team has been in the Davis family forever. If you don't remember Al Davis, he was the owner of the uh, Oakland Raiders. He's the one who would sue the NFL and Pete Rizal and move to L.A., then back to Oakland, then back to L.A. He didn't want to play by any of the rules. And his his motto was, just win, baby. I love that. It's a great one, actually. And the reason it's great is that winning, of course, covers all L's. And there were plenty of L's other than the hiring of our coworker at CBS, Amy Trask, one of the great executives, forget female executives. Hey, when is female executives a thing? I guess we have to keep announcing it. The Marlins announced the promotion of Jeter's hire. She's the woman president. And for, for whatever reason, I read that she's the first or of full president of baseball operation of, of business operations. I worked with someone named Pam Gardner, Coca. And Pam Gardner was always in owners meetings. And I believe that back in the day, she was the president of the Houston Astros. It'd be cool if we got to a point where it would not be known as historic. I guess that's what happens. Things start off as historic. And then they become commonplace and then less notable. And then you don't get the text alerts. That could be. So the Raiders are playing the Colts. And we'll talk about the Colts because it's unbelievable what they did. It's awesome naming Jeff Sunday as their coach. And uh, But the Raiders played these Colts and the Raiders lost. And the Raiders were supposed to be good. I'm not sure why. They won a bunch of games last year, but they've lost ever since. And their coach is a guy named Josh McDaniels who you may have heard about used to work for Bill Belichick in New England and then took a job with the Colts and then left like a day later and went back to being an assistant with the Patriots and now is the head coach of the Raiders. And he got this long-term deal when he was hired and his total coaching record with the Las Vegas Raiders is two and seven. But people are saying, hey, he's got to be fired. So that noise gets into an owner's ear and the owner will meet the PR guy and say, well, what are your thoughts? And the PR guy will say, well, you're going to be asked. Our GM is being asked. We're being asked. What are you doing here? Why is it that when there is losing? So this is a first year manager. Remember, two and seven multiplied by 10, 20 and 70 would be a very bad record after three months in baseball, being 50 games under. But let's say the equivalent is being 20 games under. 
losing 100 games. I always thought and would say to ownership, it's worse to look like you made a mistake than to have your decision be wrong. And after nine games, neither is the case. There is no way to know on field how your coach is doing after nine games. Behind the scenes, we could say, hey, our coach and manager is not prepared. We don't see him doing the work. We don't see him creating a playbook. We get a copy of the playbook. There are no plays in the playbook. He is figuratively and literally not doing the job as coach. That may take four games where you just say, hey, we were wrong because he's not able to be a coach. When that happens, then you can make a move. But if the coach, if you hired someone before a season and then you're nine games into the first season, even if it's Dan Campbell, right? You don't make a change. There has to be something acute. It has to be a manager yelling at an owner, being disrespectful to an owner. It has to be some sort of power struggle between an, a GM and a coach where the owner goes with the GM. There has to be something that happens that would cause a change. So my advice to, to owners always was, you don't need to give the vote of confidence so early because the midseason vote of confidence, remember that? Not that impactful. But Mark Davis did it. He Every son is different than their father, than his father, right? Each one. Hal Steinbrenner is not like George Steinbrenner. Mark Davis is not like Al Davis. Just doesn't work that way. And so Mark Davis decided that he was actually going to make a comment about Josh McDaniels and said, hey, he's two and seven. Rome was not built in a day. And this is a coach he hired who was, remember, he was the head coach of the Broncos. It was fine. He won 11 games out of 28. I think Mark Davis should have gone in front of the cameras and said, listen, I don't think you all understand the damage that John Gruden did to this franchise. Forget the emails of hate and racism and misogyny and just bad locker room humor gone viral in public. Forget the fact that he's suing me in the league because we're in dispute over his money. Let's look at the facts of the picks that he made, the first round picks that were disasters in prison or just released because they stink. I'm not expecting Josh McDaniels to fix the absolute disaster that was John Gruden. I will have no further comment on our record this season. We are trying to win games. We are prepared. We are building something here. And the reason we're building is because of the damage that Samson did to the Raiders. Sorry, that Gruden did to the Raiders. I was just thinking about what Jeter said when he took over for me. Sometimes I get confused. And that can work for a while until you lose for four years in a row and then it stops working and you can't use that excuse and you got to find another excuse and then you get fired. So guess what? Josh McDaniels isn't going anywhere if you're a Raiders fan. If you're listening in Vegas, and I know you are, what's up, Dave? If you're listening, 
He's your coach. That's it. Now, sometimes owners choose coaches where the front office doesn't want that coach to be hired. The fans can't understand why the coach is being hired. The media is neutral to critical. But guess what? Owners are owners. They have OP owner's prerogative. Jim Ursay did one of the great owner's prerogatives last week when he hired the coach, the ESPN analyst, the former offensive line. I think he played 13 years for the Colts. He was an assistant or an advisor, which just means he would sit there and have cocktails with Jim Ursay during the course of a game, at least. And then all of a sudden, he's the head coach. And the fraternity of head coaches around the country not just in football, who were aghast at the hiring, made me smile. Bill Cower, I have great respect for him as the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who is now in studio for a network. He did a very emotional plea to owners saying, you've got coaches who work their butts off from training camp through the season You've got assistants who work their way up from college to the ranks, from smaller program to bigger program to NFL, from a line coach to all of a sudden a coordinator to not promote or allow those coaches to be head coaches and instead to bring in someone who's never coached above high school. And then it was, I don't know what it was, some sort of high school. It's an affront to the profession. It's embarrassing. Hey, Bill, I got a strong little suggestion for you. Sometimes decisions are made by people who are in charge because they're in charge and because they think it's right or they want to do it or they don't care what you think and they don't care if it's even wrong at the end of the day because they know they made it on their own. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a guy who bought a company and took it private and then did some crazy things to it? And then everyone wondered, is he, does he know what he's doing? And I got another question. Is any of the blowback for this coach not just process driven? There is an undertone of the minority Rooney rule issue. It has been brought up more than once that Mr. Saturday is white. So is that something that would have brought out even more outrage or less outrage? If you say that it would have been less, then let me explain why it should have been more and why people may be misdirected in how they're reacting to things. What chance do, does an interim coach have of becoming a permanent head coach? So let's talk about Rob Thompson, the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, brought in as an interim manager, and hey, you get the full-time job. You brought us to the World Series. Some interim managers get an extra season tacked on. Some interim coaches or managers finish out the term, and then there's a search done and does not get the job. So would we applaud if the interim tag with the Colts after they fired Frank, the, the backup quarterback to Jim Kelly with the Buffalo Bills during the Super Bowl years, I think, 
if he got fired and they promoted a minority assistant, the minority assistant, because the team stinks, wins a couple games at most and then gets fired or just not rehired or as part of the interview process because the Rooney rule says we've got to interview minority candidates. Hey, we've got one. He was our interim coach. And then see you later. And that assistant coach who got promoted to be interim was highly qualified, did everything that Bill Cowher would want you to do, worked his way up and then got into a crappy situation and was basically finished before he could even start. How about a conversation about why Frank Wright got fired in the first place? Oh, we can't have that conversation because that's what we do when we run a team is we blame people for losses because you, the fans and the media demand that we win, even though half the teams have to lose by definition every single week. I wasn't outraged about Jeff Saturday. And it's not just because we hired Dan Jennings as our GM to become our manager. It's not because I've done something like this or seen an owner do something like this. It's just a fact of life. It ties back to how we started this show. What are you going to change? You're going to change the way owners act. It's never going to happen. You can make whatever emotional plea you want about process. There is no process. Owners do what they want, whether they own a sports team or a company where people communicate in an online way. When we come back, we're going to review the new Jennifer Lawrence movie, Who I Missed, and then we're going to talk baseball. There's some stuff going on today with qualifying offers. I want to remind people what that is and why the collective bargain agreement did not change this because you may have forgotten. We'll be right back. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think there'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code Samson, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Please tell your friends about our show, rate and review, and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just hit subscribe because why not? 
I do appreciate your 45 minutes. Hey, Coco, we didn't hear from the guy yesterday. Joe, if you're out there, you're the YouTube winner. Make sure you contact us through Twitter or Instagram or some such way. I don't know if you can contact through YouTube because um, that's where you won your prize for being a subscriber to Nothing Personal. So Jennifer Lawrence came out with a new movie and I watched it the other day. It's called Causeway. It's an interesting title that is not wholly relevant to the story. It is about a woman, Jennifer Lawrence, who is a veteran who has been injured and returns home. And what happens when she returns home? Now, it sounds like a story that we've seen before, whether it was thank you for your service or any number of stories from coming home to born on the 4th of July to any sort of veteran stories. It's a very popular topic. This one's a little more nuanced. Jennifer Lawrence had a brain injury. There's some spectacular character performances. She stars along with Brian Tyree Henry, who you may have, you may just remember from Bullet Train, opposite of uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson or Aaron Johnson Taylor. I can't remember which one. The guy from Savages, Coca. So the nuance of this movie is that what happens when she gets back and who takes care of her and then why she meets the people she meets and has the experiences with the people she has the experiences with. And it's not about having sort of PTSD. It's a lot deeper than that. So that's the part of Causeway I enjoyed. There's so much in Jennifer Lawrence's acting that was not on the script in that it wasn't words. She does a lot with her eyes. She does a lot with her tone. It's the opposite of her character in American Hustle. It's not a frenetic character. It's the opposite of Silver Linings Playbook. She plays a uh, a truly not like the big, not like uh, uh, took what's that movie? Take me up, took me up. The Adam McKay movie. Look me up, look up, look it up. From last year, it's not like that at all. The reason that you should give it a try is that don't look up. Thank you, Coco. The reason you should give it a try is that we're lucky to have Jennifer Lawrence as an actress in this time, in this, and you don't know how long she's going to keep doing it. So anytime she takes the time to choose a script and put herself on screen, you take the time. Apple TV, it's called Causeway. Okay. Coca, we have another good question. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. We can't get to all the questions, but God, there's some good ones. With Judge being a free agent, does Cashman and his front office wait on him or operate as if he is not coming back? How long is too long to wait on Aaron Judge? Or does Brian Cashman build a scenario of a team with and without Judge? And what would you do? Thanks. So right now we are deep into free agency. It's been going on for about a week. And free spring training starts in the middle of February. The GM meetings have already happened. The winter meetings are in December, but those are not relevant to putting your roster together. What's relevant is making sure that you have enough people at spring training when you invite 60 people to get your roster to 26 to get ready for opening day, which is late March, which is tomorrow, as we are in the middle of November. There are a bunch of free agents who last week were given qualifying offers. A qualifying offer is when you are a free agent of a team and the team says, we want you back. 
and we are going to give you an offer. And if you don't take it, no problem. If you sign with another team, we then get a draft pick. If you do take it, then you are guaranteed to make $19.65 million for one year. The qualifying offer is something that got taken away in the last collective bargain agreement because the players believe that when a player has been given a qualifying offer, like Aaron Judge, as an example, and turns it down, which Aaron Judge will do, another team will not want to sign that player or will pay him less, like Carlos Correa last year, fewer years, fewer dollars, because they don't want to give up the draft pick. And so the players said, take that penalty away. And the owners said, we're happy to do that. We want an international draft. And the players said, ooh, we'll negotiate that. How about that? Do you remember at the end of the lockout, that was an unresolved issue where they said, we're going to keep the qualifying offer in place, the owners said. But the players said, okay, but if we give you an international draft, then the qualifying offers disappear after 2022. Well, the owners and the players, and it was not very public. It did not get a lot of attention, but there's been negotiating this season post-collective bargaining ratification, and the negotiation was on an international draft, and it did not go anywhere. Therefore, the owners said, all right, no problem. The irony, of course, is that there has never been 23 owners who wanted an international draft. Now, people would vote for it as part of a CBA. The owners would because, hey, let's get a CBA done. But as a standalone issue, no. The trade of the international draft for the end of the qualifying offer was never going to happen. But it sounded good to talk about. It made everyone look good. So it didn't happen. And here we are with qualifying offers. And 14 people got qualifying offers. You only have until today at 4 p.m. to either say yes or say no if you're one of the players. So what the players have been doing who get qualifying offers and all free agents who do not have qualifying offers because you can't get more than one. So that's why Carlos Correa got one last year, did not get one this year from the Minnesota Twins where he played one year. The agents right now are furiously figuring out whether or not each of these players who got a qualifying offer will have an opportunity to make more money than the 19.65 for one year. So when you've got a player like Aaron Judge, that's not an issue because Aaron Judge is going to get multiple years and he's going to get that offer and he's going to get that offer from multiple teams. Therefore, you say to Aaron Judge, you are declining the Yankees qualifying offer. No problem. Easy one. But when you are a more middle of the road guy, like let's take the example of, I don't know, how about the Texas Rangers pitcher, Martin Perez. And you've read about the fact that it is likely he's going to accept this qualifying offer given by Texas. Do you know what teams don't want when they give a player a qualifying offer and they're a middle of the road free agent and they're just going for the draft pick compensation? They do not want their player to accept the qualifying offer. When you're a player who doesn't have more money from anyone else because you're 31 years old, you had a career year and you're not worthy of a multi-year deal and you see that you get a qualified offer, you say, holy cow, this is amazing. I'll take it. 
like Jock Peterson getting a qualified offer. You may remember him from the postseason a couple of years ago with the Dodgers. He then went to the Braves. Remember, he was the pearl necklace guy with the Braves. He was offered $19.65 million. Guess what's going to happen at 4 p.m. today? He's going to say, hip, hip, hooray, I'll take the money. Anthony Rizzo was offered a qualified offer by the Yankees. He's going to be a free agent. Who the hell is going to sign Rizzo? It's being reported that the Houston Astros want him. Okay. Be a good lefty bat. Put him at first base. Maybe. More than $19.65 million? Oh, he had 30 bombs for the Yankees. They're going to do it. I guess Rizzo is going to say no to the offer because he thinks he's going to get more. I hated qualifying offers. Too risky. You're putting your payroll together. You know by 4 p.m. today whether any of those players are on your team guaranteed. It's sort of like the tender deadline when you tender players who have only been in the league zero to three years. You have to give them a contract by a certain date in December. And when you do it, you then put those players in your budget. When you have a player like Aaron Judge and you are Brian Cashman, you are putting Aaron Judge in your budget. And you are putting him in not at the number that you made the offer preseason, the $213 million offer where he was like, let's say $30 million. You're putting him in your budget at about $42 million. And the reason why you're putting him in your payroll budget is that you've got to go get the payroll budget approved by the owner before you sign any players. Because the normal way a team is run is you get a payroll first, then you fill it out. But what we would do in our budgets is we would have ranges and we'd have ranges for positions. We think we should be allocating this amount of money to pitching, this amount of money to starters, bullpen. Then we've got this amount for utility players, this amount for our pre-arbitration players, this amount for arbitration, et cetera. And then you put in holes where you say, hey, free agent. So for starter free agent, we've got $4 million. So you tell your baseball people, hey, we're in the market here. And the GM who's been working with you on that sort of exercise goes out to his scouts and says, this is what we're looking for. Give me a list of all of the free agents, all of the available players in this price range. And then you make adjustments when the price ranges change or when there's a chance to have a player at a different level than what you thought the player would be at. When you have a chance to get a better player, that's called special money. Brian Cashman doesn't have to put $50 million in the budget for Aaron Judge because he values him at $40 million. He goes to Hal Steinbrenner and says, this is the team that we can put together for the payroll you gave us of $270 million. But then Aaron Judge calls up Hal Steinbrenner and says, hey, I'm going to want 55. And Steinbrenner says, we can't lose him. We're going to give him 55 a year for six years. And then you call up Cashman and say, that was special money. Or you call up Cashman and say, you got to cut your payroll $15 million somewhere else because judge is $55 million and we're not going over what our budget was. And then the baseball executive says, we're going to lose. One of the great mistakes people make by signing their own free agents is expecting that somehow they're going to give you the increased production for the increased money. It never works that way but we feel so much pressure to sign our own guys to make you all feel better. 
you run it back in any sport, that's running it down. The Yankees can't run it back because running it back means no ring. So if you're not going to run it back, you got to get your owner comfortable with the reality of letting players go. Does this sound familiar? Tampa Bay Rays, let players go. They just traded that very popular player. Remember G-Man Choi? Very popular during some of their playoff runs. See you later. Got too expensive. Traded to the Pirates, no less. When you have a free agent like Aaron Judge, it doesn't matter when he signs if he's a Yankee. If you are trying to sign a player like Aaron Judge, you don't want to sign him after the selling season of your tickets and of your sponsorships. You want to sign him as quickly as you can, like the winter meetings in early December, so you can parade him with his new uniform, have him send an email to season ticket holders, get him out in the community, and sell, Mortimer, sell. But when you're retaining your own player, What's the incremental benefit? All the sponsors and season Nichols say, of course you kept them. You were supposed to keep them. But when you snatch one away, you get the bump. So you think it's quite a conundrum those Yankees have. Right now, the Yankees are operating as though Aaron Judge is on their team. And the question is, are there other teams operating as though Aaron Judge is on their team? And that's what a player wants. When multiple teams are saying, hey, we are fully expecting you to be on our team, that's when you get paid more money. One of the great pieces of paper that everyone's trying to hack, forget hacking into the remaining $2.5 on the FTX website, we're trying to get the list of other teams' payroll and names. That would be very advantageous, albeit potentially collusive behavior. Yankees will wait as long as it takes. One day you're just going to wake up and Aaron Judge will either be re-signed or be gone. How's that for value added? Don't expect it anytime soon. So we'll see what happens with these qualifying offers today. But the more people that take qualifying offers, the more mistakes that are made. Any player who accepts a qualifying offer means they could not get another dollar from somewhere else. And the team who made the qualifying offer played a poker hand and lost. Will the Mets lose with Chris Bassett? Wait to see. I would think that Perez and Jock Peterson will accept the qualifying offer. Chris Bassett if he gets more than 19.65 on a multi-year deal, then teams were not paying attention. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Okay. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. When it does, we revisit it. When it doesn't, we revisit it. We had a wait to see yesterday. It's baseball award week. The wait to see is we're going to have turnaround like this. It'll be easy for Coca to update the document. We gave you the rookies of the year in the American League and National League, Julio Rodriguez, and Michael Harris, we said they'd win. They won. Michael Harris beat his teammate, Spencer Strider. Julio Rodriguez beat everybody. 29 of 30 first place votes. I'm not sure who would have not given him a first place vote. They gave it to the catcher for the Orioles, 
Julio Rodriguez had the best rookie year. Tonight, we get managers of the year. I'm going to give you two way to C's. I want to briefly talk about managers of the year. Before we get to that, do you remember the collective bargain agreement that we were referencing before? One of those other issues was that famous pre-arbitration pool. That's a pool of money that gets given to players who attain certain things like winning rookie of the year. It used to be that we had our own pool. So when we had a player, and we had a bunch of rookies of the year, we had Chris Coughlin, we had Hanley Ramirez. We had, we had more. I think was Dontrell Willis a rookie of the year? I think Jose Fernandez was rookie of the year. We may have had four over my time. Can't quite remember it exactly. But we would say for rookies of the year, we're going to give you $200,000 above the minimum. If you finish in second place in the Cy Young, we'll give you $150,000 above the minimum. We had certain, if you play 150 games, you get $5,000. And so we would have a scale and we would apply it to every player. It was like a formula. And when agents and players didn't agree with our formula, we didn't care because we were in charge of the first three years. In the new CBA, they decided we're going to put a pool of money together. I think they ended up at $50 million and we're going to split that money and give it away to young players. So more money gets to them faster, which is a big thing the players wanted. So Julio Rodriguez is going to earn extra money. By, by the way, the, the Orioles catcher is also going to earn extra money because you finished second. You actually get not just more money, you get a full year of service time, all sorts of little things that were supposed to make teams call up rookies faster. We'll see how it happens over the course of years. Remember, everybody, this is just, I'm hearing from a lot of you on David P. Sampson. We can't talk about the expanded playoffs. Or we can't talk about the rookie of the year, or the wage scale, or all of these topics after one year. You've got to see it play out over a period of years. So we've got manager of the year tonight. I don't know how you don't give it to Terry Francona. Brandon Hyde of the Orioles was incredible, no doubt. But the Cleveland Guardians won over 90 games and won a division they were not supposed to be competitive in. And remember, this is the team that acts like the Rays and trades away their stars, and yet they continue to be good. Terry Francona may not have a lot of other opportunities to win manager of the year. He deserves it. Hall of Famer, one of the best of all time. The National League is a little harder. I've got Dave Roberts winning it over Buck Showalter. Wait to see. The problem with winning 111 games when you've got the highest payroll and you've won every year for nine years, your division, is that you get overlooked and never win manager of the year. But people forget. The Dodgers rotation was mediocre. They had a ton of injuries. They've had a ton of lack of performance from players who they expected to have performance from. Yes, Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner at the top of the lineup. Mookie Betts is the best top of the lineup, period. But Cody Bellinger was bottom of the lineup and stunk. Joey Gallo, their trade deadline acquisition, just not ideal. And Dave Roberts won 111 games. He's my pick. Wait to see. Nothing personal pick of the day. I had it wrong. I had the commanders losing by 11 and they won by 11. We're 128 and 108. The thing about the commanders is I thought the distractions of the week with Danny Snyder, I didn't realize they'd go full major league and band together despite Snyder 
I thought it would crush them because the Eagles are so good. But that's not how the game looked if you watched it. The Commanders covered by winning the whole damn game. We are back to 20 games over. Let's go NBA for our pick of the day. We got the Utah Jazz playing the Knicks. There was a fascinating article, and I'm not going to talk about it today, but I want you to think about it for a show coming up probably this week. It's a concept we've answered and talked about on mailbags. When do you decide that your evaluation of your team was wrong and instead of not going for it, you go for it? Another decision is when you were tanking and all of a sudden you're good, what do you do? The Utah Jazz were supposed to be the worst team. They traded Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. They got rid of everyone. Meanwhile, they're like a team now. They're favored by four over the New York Knickerbockers. And this is total bias from when I was growing up. We could never win in Utah. Now, of course, it was Stockton and Malone. But Jazz minus four over the Knicks is the pick. We will revisit the wait to seize for your manager of the year tomorrow, plus a plethora of other topics. That's our show for today, though. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.